Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. Thank you for joining us here today. Thank you, Pastor Brian and Nicole. Um, that was an incredible welcome, Brian. I didn't receive it any other way. Introduction. <laughs> you guys have uh, really two of the greatest pastors. Uh, I, I love them. I love their heart for the city, and I think that they are uh, great people. Um, Brian, I think, is Pastor Brian. I, be, I believe that he is a better person than a speaker, too. No, just teasing. <laughs> That was funny. I, I just, no, I really do. I, I love them and uh, thankful for our friendship. And uh, in case uh, I, this face is new to you, my name is Bernard Scott, as he mentioned. I spell my name with a U because it's you for unique. Um, I love spelling my name with a U because no one else in the world spells it that way. So I had no problem getting social media pages or anything like that, even though I'm not on social media. So if you try to find me, don't. I just... I gave that up a long time ago. Too much drama. Um, but that's a whole nother message. <laughs> um, but I uh, currently, I live in Brainton, Florida, as he mentioned, campus pastor down at Bayside Community Church. And uh, I am, just so that you know, I just hit in July, uh, I just hit half a century. So <laughs> that's a big deal, right? <laughs> it sounds better when you say you just hit 50. When you say half a century, for some reason, I, you know, I, it, it's a blessing. Well, what's really cool about uh, hitting that age, they, they wanted to make it really special. So they threw a big disco party for me. And so there was this picture when I was a little kid. I was two years old. And my mom took a picture in this fly suit that I had in 71. No, it was about 73, I think it was. And I had this fly suit on. Yeah, there it is. So... They went ahead and made a cardboard cutout, and I went ahead and someone made me an outfit to kind of somewhat match how I was when I was a kid. Now, both pictures are cute. I don't care what you say. The, uh, the young me and the, the, the current me, um, just a little bigger, but I still got that wonderful smile. We did. We had a lot of fun. Um, I, I just, it's hard for me to imagine. My wife um, of 20, we just celebrated our 25th anniversary. Um, and uh, she's amazing. Uh, Queen Elizabeth, in case you're wondering, uh, that is her name. Uh, most people go, you're kidding. I said, no, she is Queen Elizabeth. Her name is Elizabeth, but I add queen to it because she's all that and more. She rules my world. You know what I'm saying? She couldn't be here today, but um, she sends her love and she allowed me to come today, which I'm thankful. You notice I said that she allowed me to come today. <laughs> and so I'm honored to be here and I have just something that God's put on my heart that I want to share with you. A word that um, I spoke, I don't know how, how many months ago. Um, 
But uh, God dropped this word on my heart, and I hope that it encourages you uh, as we get into it. The, the title of the message is called After the Struggle. After the Struggle. And the, where we're going to go at the, by the time we get to the end, I hope that we would leave answering this question. Who are you after the struggle? Many times when we get into a struggle or when we're facing a struggle, um, there's lots of things. And I, I don't know uh, everybody. I see some familiar faces, but I don't know you, so I'm going to talk about me. When you get into a struggle, uh, what I have experienced is there are voices, there are lies, there are things that begin to come at you. And as they come at you, it is easy to forget who you are. Or something gets exposed and it reveals something about you that you didn't know was there. Or you get reminded of something that you thought was dead a long time ago that comes up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So you see, I knew I'd get a response on that one, right? So, but that's what happens. And so I hope that by the end of this, we'll be able to say, okay, at the end, who, who am I now? Because it doesn't matter who you are at the beginning of the struggle, but it matters who you are after the struggle. And that's what I want to talk about today. And I'm going to take it from the life of Jacob. Uh, Jacob, uh, in the scripture, I'm going to give you a little bit of pretext. So you have uh, an old Jewish um, custom. When they pray, they always acknowledge the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so you have Abraham, you have Isaac, then you have Jacob. Jacob would be the grandson of Abraham, and Isaac would be his father. And God promises that he would, uh, because of Abraham's faithfulness, that the whole world would be blessed through that name. And Jacob uh, uh, comes through his father Isaac. And when he is born, he's born a twin. His brother Esau um, comes out. And Esau, the scripture describes him as being pretty hairy. I don't have that issue, praise God. But Whenever I see somebody with a haircut I like, I always ask them, when you're done with that, let me have it. It'd be awesome, all right? So uh, Jacob comes, and um, he is literally holding on to the heel of Esau as they're born. Um, they were wrestling in the womb of, of their mother, Rebekah. And, uh, and so this story begins very right from the very beginning where it seemed that they went ahead and named uh, Jacob. He, they gave him his name, Jacob. Uh, and his name means deceiver, supplanter, manipulator. And so his life pattern, they, we began to see this. The first time that they really talk about it is when it came time for his father to give a blessing. Culturally, they would give a blessing to their oldest. And so uh, Esau was due to have the blessing. But Isaac, want, uh, uh, Jacob wanted the blessing. So Jacob and his mom come up with this little scheme. And Esau, being a man of the field, he would be the hunter, the gatherer. He was the hairy one. He went out to make some soup because that's what his father asked for. He says, hey, make me some of that favorite soup, and then I'm going to bless you. So while he's out getting his soup, Jacob and his mom is conniving. Rebecca makes the soup. She creates a costume for her son because at this time, Isaac, he can't see really well. Um, and so she puts animal hair on Jacob, and long story short, they deceive their father. He deceives his father. 
and he receives this blessing. And of course, Esau gets really ticked off, and Esau uh, wants to kill his brother Jacob. So Jacob is, goes on the run. And while Jacob is on the run, uh, he spends the rest of his life uh, trying to avoid being killed by his brother. And then he runs into his uncle, his city, uh, the city where his uncle Laban lived. And while he's there, he meets this beautiful woman named Rebecca. And uh, he wants to marry her. But Laban says, if you want to marry her, you're going to have to um, work for me for seven years. And then I'll give her to you. Now, how many know that's love right there? <laughs> that dude worked for seven years to get her. And then when the seven years were up, instead of Laban following through and giving him his girl, he ends up giving him his other daughter. Now, I don't know how that happened, except they didn't have electricity then. But he wakes up and is not <laughs> the girl he wanted it to be. So he's deceived. Now, what's interesting about this, you begin to see a little pattern here when you look at Abraham, um, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham's manipulation and deceiving is kind of a generational thing. Going all the way back to Abraham, Abraham is, is moving. He comes into a city, and he's afraid. So he tells his wife, tell them that you're my sister. Because he was afraid that if they knew his wife, that they would take her and get rid of him. So they, they try to deceive the king. And then Isaac does the same thing. Comes in and deceives the king and says that this, his wife is actually his sister. So now you have Jacob just being true to the family name. We're going to manipulate and deceive. Anybody ever experience any generational sins that continue to reoccur? Well, you see this in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, what's awesome about that is here are three people that God constantly reminds his people of. These are what we would call generals of the faith. But I'm going to tell you something right now. The generals of the faith were jacked up. That should give us a whole lot of encouragement because God will use jacked up people and still get his will accomplished, right? So uh, Laban uh, asked him to work another seven years and he'll give him his daughter. So he does. Long story short, he works another seven years, finally gets the girl he wanted. Then there's all this drama that happens because the wife he wanted couldn't get pregnant. So then Jacob, I'm telling you, dude was just like... I. Man, that's all I got to say. But thank God for God's grace. So next thing you know, he's like uh, sleeping with the first wife and then starts sleeping with uh, uh, Rachel's servants. And they just start handing him women because she couldn't have kids. And so he's just like popping babies out by all these different women. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, everybody, he uses the worst of them. But he always turns what's meant for bad for good. So then, as all of this stuff happens, he has these basically 12 sons and uh, three different moms. Or four. Something like that. Just read it. You'll find it. It's in Genesis. <laughs> it's hard to keep up because it's a narrative that it's like blows my mind. When you really get into the story of Jacob, you're like, God, you used him. Praise God. You could use me. So we get to this point in the story where all of a sudden... Uh, Jacob decides, I've run my course. I've done everything. I, I can't run anymore. 
And uh, he's, he gets to this point where he says, I'm just going to go back to my brother. And I'm going to ask for his forgiveness. I'm going to go and ask for Esau's forgiveness. So as he's going to ask for forgiveness, uh, he sends word. He sends gifts. He does all of this stuff. And Esau gets word. And now he's coming with 400 men. There is this idea. If you come in with 400 men, guess what? You come in to take some people out. So now Jacob is intensely afraid. And so he begins to divide up his family, his women, and all of that. Now, if I was his wife, what's really interesting story when you read it, I was like, he put his wife up first. I was like, if I was her, I'd be like, what? What? why I got to go first? Why don't you put the other girl first, right? Anyways. <laughs> So, uh, but he divides up his family because he figured, you know, if they wipe them out, then he at least still has some possessions and some family over here. And, and uh, he goes to the other side of this creek. And this is where the story picks up. And I'd like to read it here in Genesis 32. Verse 22, it says, during the night, Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. Verse 24, this left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip, wrenched it out of his socket. Then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Here's four questions that I want us to address um, that I believe that when you are facing any type of struggle, When you're in the middle of the struggle, if you ask these four questions, it will help you to succeed in the struggle. Because I want you to know something. The struggle will not defeat you if you understand who you are. The Bible promises in Psalm 23, even though you walk through the valley, that's a key word, through. God has already intended for you to get through the struggle. You don't have to fear anything else. So here's the first question. Who are you? If you can ask this question in the face of any struggle, you can then begin to identify. So many times we're so focused on wanting the pain to go away rather than allowing God to use the pain to develop the person that he's created and redeemed us to be. You see, life has a way. uh, You go through enough pain. You go through enough trauma. It begins to form a person that does not match who God created. God created you in his image and in his likeness. And when he creates you in his image and likeness, sin comes along, trauma, pain comes along, and now all of a sudden we become a form of something. I'll give you a great example. I myself, uh, having, I grew up in a church, grew up uh, loving God, Christian parents, great parents, um, served in ministry, In fact, I have now been in ministry 31 years, right, preaching the gospel. And this is what has happened. Yeah, come on, that's great. And the reason why that's great is I shouldn't be here. I really shouldn't. Uh, The enemy's tried to take me out a long time ago. 
Uh, my whole life, the enemy's tried to take, take out my life. In fact, when I was a child, I'll never forget uh, um, these moments from the age of three years old up until about uh, 10 uh, years old, I, I was abused by people in church. I had, the, there were people that were worshiping God on Sunday and through the week, they were babysitting or whatever. I was at some kind of deal. I would go through this thing. And I remember having gone through the pain, the trauma, the lies that I began to believe because of the abuse that happened in my life. When I, I didn't tell my parents until I was in college and the healing journey began. I was serving in ministry, still getting up on the platform in pain, but this is what happened. Because of the uh, abuse that happened in my life, um, what began to happen was I would begin to say, I'm introverted. Now, I'm standing on the platform today. That's what's funny. And I'm preaching. But for, for 30 years, well, not 30 years, probably 20 at this point, 20 years, I was saying I'm introverted. I don't like being in people, with people. Why? Because I can't trust them. For seven years of my life, people that said they love God hurt me. Why would I trust anybody? These are the people that are supposed to protect you. These are the people that are supposed to love you. These are the people. So I created my own protection. So now I say I'm introverted. Do you think God created me to be introverted? No, but I begin to believe that lie, and I begin to allow my pain to dictate my identity. When your pain starts to identify you, and you begin to identify with your pain, you become less than what God has actually called you to be. So I had to fight through the pain and respond to the, the call of God first. So that in the midst of pain, even though I'm going through the struggle, if I ask who I am, I could go, I am not introverted. I am extroverted because God called me to be with, to love for, and care for people. Are you feeling me? So you ask the question, who am I? In verse 23, after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. Jacob was left there alone. This is what happens. Some of us are afraid to be alone. If you ask and if you look at our world today, people don't want to be alone because when they're left alone, they have to deal with themselves. You start to hear things. You can't have quiet long enough. In fact, if it's too quiet too long, we have to have noise. Um, we got to have something playing. Do you realize it's nearly impossible for us to experience true silence? There's always something going on in the background. I went to, uh, I was studying to um, install home theaters. And I went up to Corning, which Corning is the company that makes um, china and dishes and all that kind of stuff. And I was so surprised that they have a whole lot of other things that they do. And one of the things that they do, uh, their, their main uh, plant was up in Ohio. They actually uh, create the technology to make car rides, airplane rides quieter. And one of the things they got into is designing home theaters. So I went there to be trained, and it's all about sound and how do you use sound. You take a room, you put things on the wall certain positions, and it hits your ears in a sweet spot. So when you go to a theater, the reason why theaters have such great sound, it's not that it's an expensive sound system, it's just they designed the room so that sound hits you in the sweet spot. So they have this one room that's a silence room. It is so silent in that room, they said the average person after two minutes would start to go crazy in this room because it's so quiet. 
So I stand in this room, the door closes. Once the door closes, literally, I'm, my ears, I felt like they were trying to jump off my head because they were trying to grab sound anywhere. And my eyes start like bulging out because I'm trying to hear and the guy is standing in front of me and he's talking and I'm not hearing anything because there's nothing for his voice to bounce off of. So he's talking and I'm like looking at him like, are you playing with me? And so he takes me across the room, he sets me in this little corner, and he begins to walk around the room, and he, he pulls this little slide out with my ear there, and he pulls out these different slides around the room, he goes to the opposite end of the room, and he speaks into this slide, it was just a, a, a little thing that came out of the wall, and all of a sudden, it was like he was whispering right here in my ear, because the sound traveled, started bouncing off those little slides, and would hit this ear. It freaked me out. We're not used to silence, so we got to busy our lives. We don't want to be left alone, but Jacob's left alone. While Jacob is left alone, he has to try to face, for the first time, he has to face himself. He doesn't have his family. He used to be his mother's favorite son. He's without his wives. He's without all of his possessions. He's scared to death. And with all of the possessions that he has now stripped away, he now is faced with himself. And now that he is by himself... God shows up. Oftentimes at our lowest of the lowest, God shows up. And that's why it's important to ask, who am I? Here's the second question. What is the real problem? What is the real problem? Um, and because oftentimes when struggle comes, and we see this pattern right now currently in our world over the last couple of years, uh, it's just been a thing, and social media has been a big proponent of this, of everybody identifying what the problem is. And the other problem is everybody has a solution. And the problem is everybody's solution is outside of Christ. So what happens is if, you, if, you don't, if you're not willing to first start with who am I, and deal with yourself first in the struggle, what you're going to do is always look at somebody else as the problem. This started in the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. As soon as they ate of the tree that God said not to eat of, what happened was they began to blame. God said, what happened? Immediately, they began to blame. This is what we do. Everybody else is the problem. And when we do that, this is Jacob. He, he's in this position. It says in, in verse 30, uh, 24, so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. A lot of people have translated this thinking that Jacob, being left alone, went into prayer and sought God out. And as you read the Hebrew Scriptures, you begin to realize that God came to Jacob. And it was finally time for Jacob to deal with why his life has been such a mess. It can't be his uncle's fault. It can't be Esau's fault anymore. It can't be his wife's fault. It can't be his grandfather's fault. Maybe, perhaps, Jacob, it's time to deal with you. And if you just allow me to deal with you, you can identify what the real struggle is. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 through 18, it says this. This is out of the uh, New American Standard Bible. It says, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Everybody say freedom. freedom. But we all, with unveiled faces, looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. 
So on the platform, I have a mirror. And I have a window. And oftentimes, this is what happens. We face a struggle, and we immediately start to look through the window. And we're like, ooh, yeah, see, it's your fault. Mm-hmm, it's yours. I see you over there. Yep, it's his fault. And I remember growing up, <laughs> and I had a neighbor who was so mean. And he did not, he, he would literally sit in his window, and if we touched the edge of his lawn, he would come out and start yelling. And he got so mad one time because the ball would go in his yard, we run in and grab it and run out. He literally set up this ugly homemade wire fence. I mean, it, it was like he imprisoned his whole yard with barbed wire and everything so we wouldn't go in his yard. And I remember sitting there being like very antagonistic at that point. Because I'm like, this is too extreme. And I, I would go up and I'd see him peeking through the window. And when I'd see him, I'd walk by and I'd just get right to the edge of my property and his property. And I'd go. <laughs> and I'd jump back. He comes running out. When we're going through the struggle, it's easy to look through the glass of a window and say it's your problem. It's your fault. If I had only had this, if this had never happened to me, when I was a child, if they hadn't done that to me, then I wouldn't be introverted. Don't look through the window. The scripture says to look into the mirror. Whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is ripped off. You don't have to look through the glass anymore. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where he is, there is freedom. Freedom is all about getting you to be who he's created and redeemed you to be. With unveiled faces, as looking into a mirror at the glory of the Lord, we can be transformed into the same image. Catch this. As I look into the mirror, I may not like what I see, which, you know, now we're just addicted to looking at ourselves, especially the younger generation. It's like selfie all the time. It's like, you know, we just infatuated with looking at ourselves. But when we look into the mirror, we may not like what we see. But you don't look at what you see. You have to see what God sees. When you look at him, I've now, I'm not turning to my pain. I'm not turning to my struggle. I'm now looking to the word of God. I'm now looking to my source. God is my identity. He created me being made in the image. When I look into that image, even though I feel like a loser, even though I feel like a victim, even though I feel unworthy, even though I feel unloved, I have to look into the mirror, and when I look, I have to go, I'm made in the image of God, and God is love. God says that I am worthy. There's chaos going in my life, but God says I can walk in peace. So as I look into the image of God, the word of God, I can identify who I am and not allow pain to dictate who I am. Are you looking into a glass, through a glass, or are you looking into the mirror of God's word? Are you looking into the image that he's created you to be? Here's a third question. What do you want most? What do you want most Verse 25, when the man saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. 
Wrestling is not rebellion, it's pursuit. The moment you stop wrestling with God, you know, because people can struggle. You say, well, I struggle with my faith. I, I struggle with, you know, God, he let me down here. And I want you to know that, trust me, I've had many yelling matches at God. And he is not intimidated by my anger. He is not. His love is so great. I've yelled at him, God, you weren't there for me, and now you want me to go up and tell people how much you love them, whatever, right? That's how I felt. But I want you to know that wrestling is not rebellion, it's pursuit. And there are things that attached to my life as a result of the pain that I went through. There were some addictions and, and habits that needed to be broken. And the more I focused on trying to deal with the, the, the habits or the addiction, Listen, when you focus on trying to stop doing something, you lose focus of the one who will help you to stop doing something. The things that we do that we call sin are simply a distraction because it's not an external thing that's going to change it. It is an internal thing that God will do on the inside. So the more I focus on him, whatever the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Matthew 6, and all of these things will be added to you. Whatever you seek first will organize the rest of your life. If you're a coffee drinker in the morning, your whole life is organized getting that cup of coffee before you do anything else. Whatever you seek first. The problem is not struggling with something. The problem is to give up and allow the struggle to overtake you. As long as you're wrestling with God, it says, hey, man, God's still pursuing you, so you keep pursuing him. What do you want most? In this case, I believe Jacob wanted to not be the one that's doing all of the manipula manipulating and striving. And for everything he acquired, he had to work to get it. He wanted the blessing so bad from the time that he was born he wanted it so bad that he thought he could manipulate his way to getting the blessing. I want you to know, you don't have to manipulate, why am I having a hard time saying that word? Manipulate your way. I said it. Now, I'm not going to say it again. You don't have to strive. You're already blessed. You're already favored. God loves you. He's already prepared a way. All he wants you to do is to say, God, I'm going to look into your image, and I'm going to hold on to the image that you have given me. I'm going to hold on to the identity that you have given me. I'm going to look at what you said about me, and I'm going to cling to that, and I'm not going to let it go until I see it come to pass. Jacob wrestled and wrestled and wrestled, and the angel, can you imagine God is like, this dude is not going to let me go. What do you want the most? Do you want the problem to go away? Or do you want the one who will help you get through the problem? If you're just looking on the problem to go away, you're missing the incredible journey that comes with being clinging to the one, Jesus Christ, who will help you through it, but not only help you through it, bless you in the midst of it, and launch you into purpose Psalm 63, verse 1, O oh God, you are my God, I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in the parched and weary land where there is no water. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. In this moment, Jacob changes. 
God touches his hip, dislocates it. He no longer wants safety. He no longer wants his possessions, his wives, his children. Most of all, now he wants God. He's not looking for anything else but God. Not just the blessing, but the blessing giver. Not just the miracle, but the miracle giver. Not just love, but love himself. And then it brings you to the last question. Who are you now? Because in that moment, in verse 27, the man asks, uh, he says, what is your name? And then Jacob replies, Jacob. And he says, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Now, the Hebrew translation there, it's not that he has fought with God and with men and won, because Jacob's whole life he has lost. <laughs> he's lost. And at this moment, he's lost everything. So it can't mean that he's fought with God, because he even lost with God. God just touched his hip. Can you imagine? God could have ended that a long time ago, but they wrestled all night. That's the patience of God. You know what I mean? How many dads wrestle with your son and you act like you, you, you let him believe that he's winning? And you know that you could just hem him up real quick. This is God. He's making Jacob think that he's winning. No, he, Jacob lost that battle. Touched his hip. And the rest of his life, he had to walk with a limp because he lost. So it's not that he prevailed. It's God prevailed. That means that no matter how Jacob started his life, all the mess that he created up until that point, God's plan and purpose prevailed in his life. And when you know who you are and you begin to identify what the real struggle is and you cling to God's promises about who you are, if you cling to that, what God designed and purpose for your life will come to pass in your life. The blessing of God will be upon your life. You will be all that he's created and redeemed you to be. You don't have to become a statistic. The enemy wanted me to become a statistic. He created all of this trouble in my life to keep me from doing the very thing that I'm doing today and been doing for the last 31 years. Why? Because I clung to God and as I cling to him, his plan prevails in my life. Who are you now? Who are you now? Matthew 10, 39. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. If I just let go and cling to him, I will find the life that I'm looking for. So often we look to the things to bring us life rather than the one who created life. So ask yourself the question, who am I now? After the struggle, you don't have to be identified by the struggle. You can be identified by God's plan and purpose for your life and his identity in your life. And if you don't know what that is, I want you to know something. There's so much about God and who he says you are that is laid out in the scriptures that you are literally justified by faith, that you are free from condemnation, that you are free from the law of sin and death, that you are made alive in Christ Jesus through the Spirit. You are a child of God, an heir of God, a joint heir of Jesus Christ. You can be confident that you are more than an overcomer. You are the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath. That with God you can do all things, that greater is he that is inside of you than he that is in the world. That you are washed and sanctified, that you're united with God, that you've been truly bought with a price, a member of Christ's body.
that you're a new creation in Christ, an ambassador of Christ. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. You've been redeemed. In fact, if you don't believe this one, the Bible says that you're a saint, that you're holy, that you've been accepted, that you've been adopted, that you have redemption, that you are truly God's workmanship, that you're a citizen of heaven. You don't have to worry about anything because God promises to take care of you. He says this in his word, that you can come boldly before him. And even though you may feel like he can't hear you or he's not hearing you, I want you to know God hears you, he sees you, he knows you, he has a plan, and his plan will prevail. Don't look through the the glass. Look into the mirror of his word and watch his image come to pass in your life. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you today for this opportunity to share your word. And I ask that, Lord, today we would know who we are, even in the midst of the struggle. I thank you that you give us what we need emotionally, physically, spiritually, that you created us, God, to win. We are victorious. We prevail with you. Why? Because, God, you are greater than our struggle. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.